genius. It is old, large, and tastefully decorated, but it is like a funnel. The entrance is so narrow that people could enter only in dribs and drabs. I cannot live without people. I need to live my life with others. As a result, so far, during his papacy, that apartment has remained shuttered and dark, save for when Francis appears at a window on Sunday morning to bless the pilgrims and Romans crowding into the square below. He also occasionally receives heads of state and other official visitors in its private library. Larger delegations are received in spacious frescoed reception rooms on a lower floor. Instead, Francis elected to live across the piazza in the more modest Casa Santa Marta. This Vatican guesthouse is run like a hotel, with a public lobby and a restaurant with communal dining tables. During the weeks before electing a new pope and the actual balloting in the conclave, more than one hundred cardinals had occupied rooms there. Among its amenities is a modern chapel. The new pope took up residence on the second floor in room number 201, the three-room suite previously reserved for VIP visitors. As this temporary arrangement became permanent, so did his routine. As he had for years, Francis rises every morning at 4.30 a.m. and prays in solitude before breakfast. Then he celebrates Mass in the tiny modern chapel of the Casa Santa Marta, where he delivers a short homily to forty or so specially invited worshippers. During these early morning hours, he sometimes wanders, often alone, around his new domain of one square mile to chat with workmen, Vatican policemen, gardeners, firemen, and drivers. He learned that scores of homeless people were sleeping rough, literally on his doorstep, sheltering in the embrace of Bernini's colonnades facing St. Peter's Basilica, or in doorways around the Vatican. So he asked his almoner, the Polish priest whose job it is to help the most needy in the Vatican neighborhood, to distribute hundreds of new sleeping bags, to install showers in the public toilets discreetly hidden behind the colonnades, and to arrange for a barber to give free haircuts once a week. He invited four of them, one insisted on bringing his dog with him, to share his birthday lunch at Santa Marta. He invited a group of 150 homeless for a free visit to view the artistic splendors of the Sistine Chapel, and offered front-row seats at a Vatican charity concert to another. In Argentina, he had been known for taking public buses and the subway, Now, snubbing the armor-plated Mercedes papal limousine used by his predecessors, he chose a small Ford Focus for his sorties into Rome. The entire floor where he lives at the Casa Santa Marta is now reserved for his secretaries and main executive staff, and in the guesthouse are a number of meeting rooms conveniently close to the Vatican's main audience hall, where he can hold private meetings with VIP visitors and discussions with heads of Vatican departments, that is, dicasteries in ecclesiastical jargon. His admitted longing for company can startle outsiders, even when they are ranking clergymen. The Casa Santa Marta has two elevators, one in theory reserved for the pontiff, the other for ordinary individuals, including cardinals and bishops. Pope Francis tends to shun his personal elevator. A few old-timers sink to their knees when finding themselves in the communal elevator with the Pope, when one obviously terrified visiting bishop suddenly found himself standing close to the Pope, a smiling Francis told him 
Don't worry, I'm not going to eat you. In its relatively severely decorated communal dining hall, where Pope Francis takes his meals in company, his table is separated from the others by a row of potted plants. A few of his fellow residents find that to run into a pope before breakfast, even behind potted plants, can be off-putting. As one Santa Marta guest confided to me, some make it a point to rise early enough to avoid that encounter, which they, if not he, view as extraordinarily formal, especially before morning coffee. On the dark night of March 13th in St. Peter's Square, rain was pelting down. For two days the cardinals had been sequestered inside the Sistine Chapel to ballot for a successor to Pope Benedict. In our own way, the media was also sequestered by radio and television producers. Initially, I had been on a hillside TV...